Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Thanks very much. It's lovely to see you guys. I haven't been here for ages and ages, so if we haven't met, my name's Simon, and uh, I spend most of my time over in uh, West Ham, and uh, we just wanted to say a massive thank you to all of you guys, because you've been praying for years and years here, and uh, it feels like we are the beneficiaries of your prayers and your generosity and your, your service uh, as we've planted into, partnered with a congregation over in West Ham, and we're seeing God on the move over there, and it's really exciting. So we bring our greetings from our, your family, because that, that's what we are. We're all together, one church, loads of parishes, and uh, we're all together in it, but uh, we're having a load of fun over there, and um, we, uh, we love that we get to do it together, and so it's great to be with you today, uh, and uh, morning, I don't know where I'm looking, to everyone online, it's great to be with you guys. I just wanted to start with a little story. My, uh, my grandparents, my dad's mum and dad, they met during uh, the war, my my grandmother lived in Algiers, in Algeria, North Africa, and my, my granddad, he was a Welsh mine, mining boy, but was posted out there during World War II. And um, they met, and they fell in love. What a great story. And eventually, you know, they got married, and they had three kids, and they all had loads of other children and ended up with me. And so I'm really grateful that my granddad got posted to North Africa. The bit of the story that was left out was that they didn't actually share a language. So when they first met, my granddad couldn't speak a word of French, and my grandmother, Meme, couldn't speak a word of English. So what she did it's always the woman who puts in the effort in these things. She taught herself English using two translations of the Bible. So she just, she, I don't know how she did it. I, I think someone embellished the story somewhere along the way. But she taught herself English. So she was like, thou art wonderful to my grandfather. I'm sure she wasn't. but So they met, fell in love without being able to communicate with each other and um, got married eventually. It's quite an amazing story. Relationships are a gift, aren't they? Relationships are a real gift to us and all of us long for them. But w what I'm not talking about is just marriage relationships. That was just a fun story, really. I'm not here to expound the benefits of marriage because all of us have vital relationships in our lives. Whether you're married or not isn't important. We've all got relationships that matter. We're, maybe we're parents. Maybe we are a brother or a sister to someone. Maybe we're a cousin, a friend, a confidant. Maybe you are other people's first phone call. Maybe you've got some best friends. Maybe you just have some acquaintances. Maybe you've got some great colleagues. The list goes on. All of us exist in relationship. In fact, in some ways, we are the sum of our relationships. No one is an island. 
We don't exist as an entity without being in relation to other people. We all want to belong to a group. We all want to be part of something. We want to have someone who is there for us. When we need them, we want to be there for someone when they need us. In fact, not having meaningful relationships is deeply destructive. You'll all have heard the studies around loneliness. One of them says this, a defining characteristic of human society is that individual lives are intertwined through social relationships. Full social participation is such a fundamental human need that research since the 1900s has found the lack of social connections increases the odds of death by at least 50%. If you are on your own and lonely, more often than not, it increases your, the odds of death by 50%. When you add in lots of other assessments of social relationships, the odds of mortality increase by 91% among the socially isolated. The magnitude of this effect is comparable to that of smoking and exceeds those of many other known risk factors of mortality, such as obesity or physical inactivity, all to say that loneliness will kill you as quickly as smoking does. We, as humans, are distinctly relational. We were built, made, created for relationship because we're made in the image of a God who exists for time and eternity as relationship. It's where the idea of God as Trinity roots itself. A God who is distinctly relational, operating as three relational entities expressed as one essence. A fantastic image for it. I'm actually going to, can I get the keyboard on? I'm not going to ruin it. There's, um, there's a fantastic image for it. You ready? Oh, what? Turn the keyboard on. You're ruining my picture. Jamie, help me out. I was going to sing and everything. Oh, glory, come on. That right there, what you can hear is a fantastic image for the Trinity. It sounds awful from here. Does it sound as bad out there or is it all right? What you can hear there is one sound, right? But actually it's made up of... <laughs> it's made up of three sounds. You can hear one thing made up of three things. There you go. Thanks, mate. Thanks for your help. I got to grade five on the piano. You would never be able to tell, right? God exists as these interweaving relationships of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, expressed to us as different relationships, all from the one thing. Uh, just for the record, all images of the Trinity fall short. They're all borderline heretical in many ways. If you think you understand the Trinity, you don't quite understand the Trinity. That's what I learned at theological college. But what we do know is that God is distinctly relational and that you and I, born out of the love, the overflow of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are also relational. 
And all the way through Scripture, what we see is a God calling us back into relationship. The aim of what we see in Scripture is the restoration, the renewal, the recreation, the redemption of relationships in every possible way. Right at the beginning, what we see is this picture of Adam and Eve walking with, with the Father, walking with God, who exists as Trinity. So they were there together. But then that moment, the fall happens. And what, what actually happens in that moment is that relationships are damaged. What happens in that first act of rebellion against God when sin enters the world, it's an attack on relationships. The relationships between us and one another, we're going to talk about that later on in the series. Our relationship to ourself, what do you see when you look in the mirror? We're going to talk about that later on. But most importantly, the damaged relationship was between us and God. The separation begins immediately in Genesis 3, verses 1 to 9. It paints a picture for us of what happens in the fall. The narrative around how sin enters the world, the disobedience of humanity, the temptation by the enemy. And what we find is, uh, is this. It's going to come up on the screen. Genesis 3, 1 to 9. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You'll not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God. They hid from him for the first time in all of creation since they'd been made. Since they walked with him in closeness and fellowship, they hid from him. What did sin do? What did their rebellion do? It separated them from the Father. The Lord God called to the man, verse 9, where are you? The first question In the whole of scripture is this, where are you? No longer an Adam and Eve hanging out with God in the garden, but hiding and God calls out to find them. What does sin do? What does our rebellion, our disobedience do? It separates us from God, damages the most fundamental of relationships. But here's the good news, everybody. Here's the good news. Ever since the garden, when we first started hiding, God has been coming after us. He's been coming to find us, calling to us to help us find our way back home. So 
Broken relationships are the problem. What's the remedy? What's our part to play in this? How do we find our way to that voice that is calling us? Well, I have a very strange two-part sermon, everybody, if you're taking notes. Not three, I know. Everyone will be disappointed. It's two parts. You can make notes of this, and then you can close your eyes and have a little nap. Worship is the way, and Jesus is the answer. That's the whole of my talk, summed up in two sentences. How do we find our way back to that voice that's calling us home? Well, worship reorientates our hearts back to Jesus. Our response to that broken relationship is to say no to all of this and say yes to him, to fix our eyes on him and say worship is the way. We all worship. We all worship all the time. We can't help it. We are worshiping beings. The problem is most of us direct our love in the wrong way. We worship the created rather than the creator. We've got these desires in us calling us towards worship and we replace God for fame or money or clothes or infamy or one another. There's only one person who's worthy of worship and only one who can bear the weight of our worship. We misdirect our desires just a little bit and we end up miles away from where we want to be. The way to reorientate this is by choosing to love God first, putting Jesus on the pedestal, tearing down the other idols and saying, no, Jesus, it's all for you. Augustine, an amazing theologian, you'll have heard this quote before. He said this, love God and do whatever you like. Love God and do whatever you like. He said this in, in full, that quote is, love God and do whatever you please for the soul trained to love God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. If we truly love God, if we're going after him wholeheartedly, with all we are, fixing our eyes on him, and we live out of that place, do you know what it does is, is it restores his image in us and we're not going to offend him. We're not going to fall down. Love God and do whatever you want. Use every part of your life as worship. I love what we do here on a Sunday. Isn't it amazing to be able to gather and sing together? What a gift these guys are to us, to lead us in song, in sung worship. But the whole of life is worship. It matters what you do with your words on a Monday morning, just as it does with the words that we sing here on a Sunday morning. When we get it right, our deepest desires and longings find their rightful place in our lives. When we worship, when we get that right, we are going to sin less. When we order worship properly, we begin to flourish in light of who God is. And we see this all through Scripture. In fact, if you've got your Bible, turn to Exodus 20. In the central laws given to God's freed people, where God sets out how we continue to live in light of the freedom that we've been given, he places worship front and center. If you want to live in freedom, it begins in worship. You see, the, the Ten Commandments, which is what we find in Exodus 20, they're not guidelines for getting free. 
the, the people of Israel have already been set free. Their boundaries for staying free. God lays out the priorities for how we flourish in life. And he says that it starts in worship. The Ten Commandments help us set our trajectory in the way that we should go so that we don't look back and find that we've wandered off course. So the Ten Commandments are the path for freed people, that's you and me, for flourishing in life, towards restored relationship. It makes sense, right? Don't, don't kill each other. Well, yes, that would make relationship tricky. Don't lie to one another. Don't steal from each other. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't, you know, continue to run all the time. Take a really good rest. God has given us this framework to get relationships right. But right front and center is the key relationship. The first three commandments are all about worship. The foundations for the 10 are the three. Get those right and everything else follows. Exodus 20 verses one to seven says this, God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I set you free. And now I'm gonna give you some guidelines by how you continue to live free. Verse three, commandment one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And then verse seven, commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The framework for the 10 commandments is the first three and they basically say this, put God front and center of your life. No other gods, not one amongst a number. I don't want to be just part of the hubbub. There's no one else. No other God, no idols. If you want to get this right, look at what it takes priority in your life and tear down the idols and put him back on his pedestal. Don't misuse my name. My name's powerful and use it rightly. Don't do what the serpent did and manipulate or falsely celebrate. Jesus is to be praised. Don't misuse the name of God. They're all about worship. And when we get it right, when we prioritize our relationship with him, when we hold him up higher than everything else, when he's first in our hearts, things begin to make sense. You see, worship ultimately is what we were made for. Ellie Mumford, who led the vineyard movement for a long time, says this. We were born to worship. It steadies our nerves. It restores our focus. It changes our perspective. It's the wind in our sails, the blood in our veins, the spring in our step. It's our joy. It's who we are and what we were made for. And I concur. <laughs> How do we reverse the curse of sin that happens in Genesis? We choose to worship. And what's amazing is Jesus actually takes this and builds on it when he's confronted by the Pharisees in the New Testament in Matthew 22. The Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. What's the most important thing you can do? What's the most important law? 
And uh, they're, they're basically trying to catch this new, young, up-and-coming rabbi out. Oh, has he actually got good theology? Has he got good doctrine, this guy? And Jesus responds like this in Matthew 22, verses 35 onwards. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And some add there with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When asked what is most important in the whole law, Jesus says that relationship with God, relationship with one another and ourselves is. In fact, it's amazing, isn't it? If you look, he reverses the broken relationships from Genesis. The three relationships that are damaged, us and God, us and each other, us and ourselves. Jesus says, no, 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 let's fix those. Turns it upside down. Jesus takes those and says to flourish so that you get to fullness of life. We're to pursue love in those areas. But the first thing is the first thing is the first thing. Love God. We need to love God with all we are. Get that bit right and everything else falls into place. Get it wrong and we find ourselves constantly bent out of shape. At least I do. My daughter, I've got a three-year-old little girl called Emma. We recently went to um, London Zoo for her birthday. Just for the record, don't go to London Zoo in the winter. It's rubbish because all the animals are hiding because it's too cold. Except for the penguins because they love the cold. And uh, thankfully, Emma loves penguins. And... Um, I don't know if you ever noticed, but penguins look really uncomfortable on land. Have you ever seen them? Sort of, they can't move very quickly. They're a bit uncomfortable. Have you ever seen a penguin in water? Honestly, it's a thing of beauty. I'd encourage you, go and have a look on YouTube at a penguin swimming in water. It's like they're flying underwater. It's honestly absolutely stunning. They go from this uncomfortable, slightly waddly thing that looks like it should be nowhere near the land. They dive in the water, they get into their natural habitat and they become a thing of beauty. I want to suggest that that is just like us. When we get our relationship with God right, we go from slightly uncomfortable, a bit not quite right, we find ourselves in the love of God, beginning to be able to fly. What does it really mean? How do we do it? Well, Jesus gave us four areas to aim for. How do we love God? You'll probably connect with one of them more than another, but love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not just your feelings, but that your heart was known as the sort of seat of all your decisions. It was the very center of who you are. So love God with the choices you're making. If you've got a choice to go after God or something else, choose God. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. We know that so much of life is a battle for our minds. St. Paul tells us that we're we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Love God 
with your minds, those thoughts that go around your head, captivate them, capture them, interrupt them. Don't let that fantasy of, oh, I wish I'd said this in that argument, then I would have won that. Anyone else do that? Interrupt those things. Offer it to God. Be transformed by offering your mind as worship. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. We're to love God with the very identity of who we are in the deepest parts of us, beyond rational thought, beyond our decisions, with your id, worship God. And then finally with our strength, we are holistic beings. So often we separate it, don't we? Uh, this is my spirituality over here and it's like, it's nothing to do with my physicality over here. Well, do you know what? Our physicality affects our spirituality because we are whole beings. Honor him with your body. What Jesus is saying is this isn't just part of you. This is all of you. This isn't just your Sundays. This is your Mondays. This isn't just your service. This is your wallet. This isn't just your prayer life on a Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. on Zoom. This is your prayer life all the time, constantly inviting Jesus into your life. The whole of life is worship. Worship is the way. But do you know what? Here's, here's the thing that I find great comfort in, is Jesus is the only answer. This isn't actually our task. Jesus has done it. Jesus has made the way. If the Old Testament is a picture of humanity trying to claw its way back to God by doing the right things, by living the right laws, trying to get back to the garden, but failing miserably, well, the New Testament is this. It's God refusing to give up on us and coming all the way to meet us. The cross has made the way. Jesus came in order to restore the whole of creation back into right relationship with the Father through the power of the Spirit, by defeating death, by conquering sin, by laying down his life, by serving. Jesus made a way out of the mess we find ourselves in. In the narrative described in the Gospels, in fact, if you're doing Bible in a year, I'm still up to date. Come on. We find ourselves in that narrative this morning. There's a stunning picture of the temple curtain being torn in two. And you guys will know this. It's the incredible picture of what Jesus has done. The temple curtain was vast, inches thick, feet wide, meters high. It was a picture of you cannot get to the presence of God. You lot aren't good enough to get into the Holy of Holies. What happens at that moment of Jesus conquering sin, the temple curtain is torn in two and you and I have full access to the love of God. We are no longer separate. We are no longer kept apart. You and I are invited in because of Jesus. In Luke 10, 
Sorry, I'm a bit all over the place, but this is such a big topic. You could preach on this for weeks and weeks and weeks. In Luke 10, we hear the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a famous story where Jesus is putting reality onto what it looks like loving your neighbor. A man, you'll know the story, but a man gets beaten up and robbed and then a priest comes past. He's like, I'm not getting involved. Then a worship leader comes past, cares, whatever, and doesn't want to get involved. And then a stranger comes past. Not just any stranger, a mortal enemy, a hated stranger comes past picks the guy up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to a place that he can get healed, pays for his bills, pays all of his debts, and says, whatever it requires, I'll do it to make sure he gets well. Many beautiful applications of this story, so often used as a reminder to us to be a good neighbor. Absolutely, it is that. But do you know what? Ultimately, this is the story of Jesus. Who are you in the story? Who am I in the story? I'm the person on the floor with my head kicked in. Who is Jesus? He's the one that has been separated from us. The one that we've pushed away. The one that we don't want to be near. Who says, I'm coming to rescue you. And I'm going to pay all of your debts. I'm going to carry you back to the place you're going to find healing. And I'm going to make sure you get free. Jesus is the way. He comes to rescue us to set us free from our captivity and to remove the barrier between you and God, between me and God. I'm going to land with this. The amazing thing is that the only thing required to enjoy this love is to say yes. To ask him to take us in. Maybe you feel like that guy on the floor beaten up and all you can do is lift a hand and say, help. Well, here's the good news. Jesus doesn't say, whoever comes to me with enough contrition, whoever comes to me feeling bad enough about themselves or about their sin, whoever comes to me with all the effort, he doesn't say that. He says, whoever comes to me Whatever state of mind, whatever state of heart, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Our strength of resolve is not part of the formula of retaining his goodwill. Jesus has come all the way. And our job is to respond. And so we cling to Christ. We cling to him to be sure that amid the storms of life, he is stronger than we are and that he will hold on to us. His grasp never falters. And I'm going to shut up. Jesus has come all the way. Stepped down from the riches of heaven into the mess of earth to take us back to the Father. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But he loves you because he loves you because he loves you to restore us into relationship with the Father. All we do is say, 
help. And so what we'd love to do, hello little ones, we're going to pray. This thing is super heavy. Anyone help me move this thing? Is that okay? I'm not, I genuinely don't think I'm strong enough to move this. Or am I just being a wuss? I, was, I am being, Tando's like, you're such a wuss. That's what he just said to me. He didn't. Where are the band? It's just to give you guys hope. What we're going to do is we're going to pray. Is that all right? Can I invite you, if you're able, would you stand with me? And those, those of you at home online, if wherever you are right now, would you stand? Not that standing is important. It's just you can shake it off a bit, can't you? It's nice to get some blood flowing again. And all we're going to do is we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to meet us. You may want to hold your hands out. You might want to close your eyes. And we're going to leave a bit of silence. We're not used to it because we live in a busy world. Don't be afraid of the silence. But Holy Spirit, would you come? Come and move among us, Lord. We welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.